0: Today's reading is from John, chapter 12, 37. Belief and unbelief among the Jews. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. Because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they cannot see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn. And I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet, at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they will be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out whoever believes in me does not believe in me only but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them. I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say, all that i have spoken i know that his command leads to eternal life so whatever i say is just what the father has told me to say this is the word of the lord
1: thank you graham thank you Anne. shall we pray as we come to god's word this morning Father, we thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us has a story. Thank you, Lord, that to each and every one of us, you want to speak and do speak. We pray now, Lord, as your church family here in this place, would you open our ears to hear and our eyes to see all the glory of your son in these words from John's gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. don't know if you've ever sort of wondered about that question, about why do some people believe in Jesus and God, and some people just don't. Oftentimes when people find out that I'm a vicar, uh, a lot of people will sort of look about themselves a bit and say, oh, yes, I'm just not very religious, or, oh, I just don't have that... I wish I did have that kind of faith in me, but I just don't. As if sometimes it's a question of, I believe because, I don't know, I've got black hair and, you've got, and you don't because you've got blonde hair, or it's something you're born with, or it's something that you um, just happen to have a quality of faith or a need for religion, and so some don't. Do you ever think that? Many people do. Or why maybe when you became a Christian, whenever you think back to it, and you think, well, why did I become a Christian? Why did I believe But maybe a spouse or a sibling or an aunt or an uncle or a parent didn't? Why do some believe and some don't? Is it to do with just how you were brought up? You were brought up in church or you weren't? Is it to do with uh, your experiences in life? what's it all to do with? Those are really actually deep questions and often difficult to answer. But the truth of it is, people are becoming Christians all the time, from all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different walks of life. You don't have to be a particular type of person. We, we're running Christianity Explored here as a church at the moment, and I, uh, I haven't been along to it yet, but... I know, I'm sure if you went there, you would have all sorts of different people. Some would call themselves Christians, some wouldn't. Some might be atheists, some might be coming from a different faith background. Others might have grown up in church, just want to explore more. The wonder of the gospel, if you ever thought, oh, it's only because you grew up in church, is not true. People all around the world from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different faiths are coming to know Jesus. But what is it that helps us believe in him? Well, this passage starts off with unbelief, the people who aren't believing in Jesus. Just look at verse 37 for a second. If you've got a Bible with you, we're in uh, John chapter 12, verse 37. It says these um, incredible words, really, which um, surprise us maybe at first. John says, even after... Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Isn't that an incredible sentence? Even though Jesus performed many signs in their presence, many miracles, I mean, when was the last time you saw someone walking on water? I see lots of people on paddle boards, actually, to be fair, down the (laughs) seafront. But when's the last time you saw someone walking water? Or when did you last see someone rise from the dead? When did you last see someone feeding a whole crowd of people with just a few bits of bread? These are crazy miracles, aren't they? And yet, even after seeing all those things, people don't believe in him. Why not? Why not? Okay, here's a few thoughts that came to my mind. Why? Miracles alone may not convince you that Jesus is Lord. As incredible as that is, why not? Firstly, it can be quite easy to rationalize away what you see. We do it all the time. Let's say for a second you did see someone walk on water down at the seafront. And at first you're like, whoa! You get your phone out, record it, post it on YouTube, and everyone, there's a whole stirring around it. But then a little bit later, someone posts a comment on the YouTube stream, well, there's a sandbank out there, isn't there? Or um, it's a trick of the light, the shimmering of the water, it was just very shallow at the time. Or maybe just a bit of time goes past, and you go back to the rest of your life and you don't bother visiting that YouTube clip anymore or whatever, and you've explained it away in your mind as a crazy thing, but no one really knew what to make of it. There's that, we rationalize. Or, what many people do in this case is that they interpret it spiritually very wrong. In fact, they will say, well, yeah, he did do a miracle, but he's not of God, he's of the other person. He's doing those things, but he's trying to trick us. The enemy is trying to trick us and we must not be fooled. Many people accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed or doing the works of the devil, trying to dissuade us from the true faith, trying to get us away from our lives, trying to gain a following. Or simply, maybe, we're also um, got another problem which is in 42 and 43, verses 42 and 43. Look at this. We might be convinced to say, yeah, Jesus is impressive and I think he requires my attention and I do believe in him. I do believe Jesus is Lord. But look at verses 42. These are quite sobering verses. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Okay, so many did believe in him, right? But look, but because of the Pharisees, They would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Isn't that really insightful? Doesn't that really open up who we really are and what we're really like? We might go, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. I think he really does call me but I'm scared, I'm fearful of what it might mean to acknowledge that. I might not be put out of the synagogue, or maybe if you're a Jewish follower you would be, but maybe you're from a different faith background, or maybe you've got a family that doesn't believe, or maybe you're worried for what it means about work. You're worried about what people might think. Or maybe it's not even about what you're worried about people might think, it's just sheerly this. I love human praise more than praise from God. What's more important in my life is just getting on really well in the world and not really trying to please God with my life. I mean, really think about what motivates you, what you're working and striving for, your hopes and your dreams and all of that stuff. Is it truly to do with pleasing and honoring God? Or is it just what you want? Does that make sense? So many people who could be followers of Jesus and believe in him just simply don't because God is not important enough to them and all the other stuff. And there is loads of stuff in our lives, is there not? One of the greatest problems with Christianity in the West is not persecution. There's too much stuff that fights for our attention and time. Lots of glittery and shiny things that we wander after. Our own reputations, money, prestige, security, stresses and strains of modern life, anxiety. All of that, so many don't go, yeah, but... Is this honoring to Jesus? Am I honoring Jesus in my life? That's probably far and away the biggest one for why people don't truly believe and follow Jesus in our culture. Okay. What does John say about this though? He actually says this is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said would happen. Verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Now, we're going to turn, do a bit of Bible study this morning, if that's all right, if I've got time for it. Here we go. Isaiah. Firstly, he turns to Isaiah chapter 53. So if you do have a Bible with you, flick to Isaiah 53, and we're going to see why people find it hard to believe in Jesus, even though they see the miracles. Okay, you see the miracles, but you still don't believe. Isaiah explains it. Isaiah 52, and if you know anything about Isaiah 53, it's a glorious passage about how Jesus would come, suffer terribly, but his suffering would produce healing and salvation for people. Okay, so verse 53, verse 1, this is where John quotes. He quotes the Lord as saying, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's the quote. So he's saying, who's believed? Not many are believing. Why? Because how many are truly seeing the revelation of who the living God is? Okay, so let's say you see the miracles, right, of Jesus, and you think, okay, wow, he's, he's he's got power, he's someone to take note of, but here's the stumbling block of why they don't believe in him, is he's not impressive as a person, He doesn't look wealthy, he doesn't look strong, he doesn't look powerful, he's a nobody, right? Because look at just before Isaiah 53, let's go from 52, 13. See, my servant will act wisely, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. He looks a mess. He's beaten. He's opposed. He's mocked. He's poor. He's smelly. He doesn't come from a good place or background. Many are appalled at him. It's a stumbling block, you see. People might see the miracles, but they think, but who is this guy really? He's a nobody. How often is that even in our culture? A lot of people know the name of Jesus, but most people think he's a nobody. Not really worthy of attention today. And the rest of Isaiah 53 goes on as well, doesn't it? Verse two, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. You know, like we chase after the glittery, shiny celebrities and all of that, people who look athletically good and all of the rest of it, powerful, whatever, intellectually smart, all of that, yet he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He's a stumbling block. We're not seeing him for who he truly is. we're looking at superficial things we need to have a revelation as in verse 1 says who to whom has the arm of the lord been revealed the bible says jesus will be a stumbling block for many of us lots will see him and go wow isn't he amazing what a great lord and savior others will think but look at the cross He lost. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was nobody. Everyone had power of him. For many other faiths, when they look at Christianity, they find it very difficult to believe in Jesus as Lord. Because how can he be Lord and be humiliated like he was? Stumbling block. The other night, literally last night, um, I got up um, in the middle of the night, as some of you might do, in the middle of the night, needing bathroom and uh, got up it was dark and uh, coming back to the bedroom and it's still dark I didn't want to turn the lights on and disturb everyone um, I got I thought my bed was here quite quite far away and I went straight up to it and uh, did I overestimate or underestimate where it was and my shin just went whack straight into the um, edge of the bed on the wooden bit it was incredibly painful I did the noble thing didn't didn't cry I didn't yell, out and wake everyone up. I took it like a man. <laughs> and, uh, but normally I would just, the bed, you see, could either be a stumbling block in the darkness or it could be a place of rest and relaxation and comfort and warmth, yes? Jesus is a bit like that. If you don't see who he is, you might stumble over him. But if you see him for who he is, you will find rest and comfort for your soul. When we see Jesus on the cross, we see the miracles, but we need to see beyond that, and we need to see who Jesus really is on the cross. If we can start to see him as he truly is on the cross, we'll start to believe in him in a proper way. A proper way. Because the cross is not his weakness The cross is not a sign of weakness. The cross is the sign of the strength and power of God to overcome all the dark and horrible evils of this world. It's not his weakest moment. Well, it is his weakest moment, but it's also his most glorious and powerful moment. It's not the place where we say, look, he lost, he's rubbish, don't follow him. It's the place where we say, yeah, my God can do that. He can disarm all the powers of darkness in this world through his own suffering and death. I was trying to think about this. It's not his, it's his, because the Bible sees the cross as his victory, not his failure. And I was trying to think of this. I was thinking, well, I remember um, uh, squash. Squash is my favorite sport, okay? I don't know if you like squash or badminton or whatever, but I, I really like squash. And one of the reasons I like playing squash as a teenager and as a young adult was because it's one of those games where you can hit the ball as hard as you like. Really hard. And you can really just uh, smack it a lot and um, uh, have one of those games where you're uh, running around a lot get exhausted. It's a great great deal of fun squash if you've ever played it. And um, the ball takes a real pounding in that game, right? But by the end of it, okay, it's not the ball that's um, lost, It's me that's on the floor, right? Exhausted, tired, all of that. And afterwards, the next day I'm aching and I can't walk around and all of that. I've been completely um, sort of worn out, right? Now, this illustration might not work or not, but here's my thought on this. Is that all the powers of darkness in this world, the devil, sin, the violence of humanity... The corruption of humanity did its best on Jesus. Gave it all it had against Jesus. Gave him the beating of a lifetime. Gave him all the mockery it could do, the shame and humiliation. It fired all its weapons. The enemy had all its weapons. Let's go to town on Jesus and really destroy him. And yet, after all that was done, after the devil gave it his best, after Pontius Pilate did his worst, after the Jews could do all they could, after all the spiritual darkness, even all our sin, all we could do, at the end, we had nothing left. And he survived it. It did kill him, but he rose from the dead. And we find now that death has no power. Darkness has no power. The enemy has no power anymore because it was exhausted on Jesus on the cross. So there's a verse in Colossians that says, through the cross, Jesus has disarmed all the powers, all the rulers, all the authorities. The cross is his victory and now the enemy has nothing left. Exhausted. Literally, just like you could push me over after a game of squash, You can now just push over the enemy in sin and darkness. It's exhausted. Jesus took it all. It's his victory. We also need to see that the cross belongs to us. It's for you and it's for me. When you see that, when you see Isaiah 53 and you say, he took my shame and he took my guilt and he suffered for me. Let's just look at that for a second. Isaiah 53, if you've still got it with you. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. When we begin to see that glory of Jesus, we might believe. Um, Again, I was trying to think of an illustration for this and Um, there's someone in our congregation, I won't name who it was, but had a terrible car accident yesterday. Just outside here, their car was flipped just on the corner of Mount Avenue and everything. Their car was flipped over and hit by another car. A terrible crash. And she showed me a picture of her car and it was just all crumpled and battered and bruised and all of it. But praise the Lord, she walked away from it unscathed, a few bruises and things. And we were sort of, wow, it's a miracle kind of thing. Isn't that amazing, though, about these modern cars that we have, right? They've got airbags, crumple zones, and all of that. And I was thinking about that just even yesterday, thinking about, isn't that amazing? That she came away unharmed, but the car was destroyed. And I think, isn't that, it made me think about this Isaiah 53, that Jesus was crushed that he was broken, that he was beaten and destroyed, came away as a wreck, that we might walk away unharmed. Isn't that amazing? That all the pain and problems in our life and all the mess that we've caused, we can walk away from this life unharmed when we see Jesus took the hit for us. Incredible. So going back to uh, John's Gospel, Verse 41, Isaiah said this, Isaiah said these words because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. See, it's not the miracles that are going to lead you ultimately to Jesus. It's seeing his glory on the cross. There's one other quote I'm going to, where, which John quotes in verse 40 here. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. Can we turn to Isaiah chapter 6? Because Isaiah has both, reveals the glory of Jesus on the cross, but he also in Isaiah 6 shows the glory of Jesus as king. So John John chapter 12 quotes Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. Can you see verse 10? It says, Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Other those they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So he quotes Isaiah 6, John, as saying the people are unbelieving. But what is it that Isaiah is seeing in chapter 6? Well, look at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. So you've got this incredible vision of King Jesus... In the temple, looking majestic as anything, even just the train of his robe fills the whole temple. And you've got these holy angels that can't even bear to look at him. He's so awesome. He's so holy that they cover their eyes. And then even the temple is shaking with the presence of Jesus. So in Isaiah, right, you have both a vision and revelation of Jesus as a car wreck. And then you've got a vision of Jesus in majestic glory. In order to truly follow Jesus, we need to see both. We need to see both. Who he truly is as Lord and King of the universe, but also as someone bruised and beaten for you and for me. And then I love uh, Isaiah's response here in chapter six where he says, verse five, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That happens quite often with Jesus, even in his earthly ministry. Do you remember when um, Peter goes fishing with Jesus? By the way, if you ever like fishing, make sure you take Jesus with you. You'll have a good catch. And Peter goes out fishing with Jesus and they haul in, I don't know what it is, a crazy amount of fish that even the nets are breaking. And he sees that miracle of Jesus. He sees something of the majesty of Jesus and he does exactly like Isaiah does and he falls down and says, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe is me. If you've ever encountered Jesus in, some, in a true way, you'll have a bit of feeling of like that, woe is, you'll see I am not worthy to stand here. Loads of people experience that. But it, that's only half the revelation. Because so many people think God's too holy and holier than thou for me. And then look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 of Isaiah 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice. Jesus' cross is referred to as an altar. So this seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Verse seven, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. In Isaiah, we see the majesty of Jesus. We see how unworthy we are to be in his presence. But then we see the love and the meekness of Jesus as he takes from the altar his own blood, makes atonement for our sins, is wrecked on the cross in order that we might stand in his presence. Forget the miracles. Don't be one of those Christians that chases around after miracles all the time. Don't bother with that. If that's your heart, you'll always be disappointed. Not because Jesus won't do them, but because you're not following him for the right reasons. You've not yet seen who he is. His majesty and his meekness. Once you get a revelation of that, you'll follow him anywhere. The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Where are you at this morning? Is your heart trying to please Jesus because you've been won by him? Or are you pleasing yourself, pleasing the world, following fruitless things, Where are you really at? Do you really believe in him? Have you seen, just like Isaiah did? I'm going to finish with that wonderful verse in John's Gospel, verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Let's pray. Father, we're sorry that our belief in Jesus is so fickle so often. It has no roots so much of the time that we find ourselves falling away from him time and time again. Give us fresh revelation of who he is this morning, Lord, seeing beyond the superficial to both his majesty and his meekness. May we see him as he truly is. And when we do, we will fall down at his feet and worship. Not because we're fearful of him, but because we adore him and cannot help but give to him everything. For he gave his everything for us, for me. Therefore to him be all the glory, both now and forever. Amen.